You're listening to the Better With Books podcast, a weekly podcast for entrepreneurs looking to bridge the gap between reading for business and reading for fun. I'm your host, Kate Hollis, conversion copywriter and part-time librarian, ready to guide you toward finding meaningful, actionable insights into yourself, your clients, and your business through works of fiction and creative nonfiction. Join me each week to discuss a new title from genres ranging from fantasy to romance and everything in between. Unconventional? Definitely. But that's where the good stuff is. Think of this as your own personal on-demand book club, one where reading the book is 100% optional and all are welcome. Come for the book recommendations and stay for the inspiration because I think you'll find that your business and your life will be better with books. Hey there, thanks for joining me for episode 11 of Better With Books. This show has a very loyal following, and I'm so grateful for that. So if you are a regular listener, then you know what we're in for this week. But if this is your first time listening, welcome. Um, The deal with Better With Books is that we are talking about non-business books as a way to develop ourselves and our businesses. Because while business books are great, we like to mix things up around here. Speaking of which, I hinted at it last week, and I'm now ready to make some exciting announcements about how you can get more involved with the show. So if you head to katehollis.co slash podcast, the link will be in the show notes, you'll now find a submission form that you can use to do one of three things. So number one, you can suggest a book or multiple books that you think I have to read and that would make a great conversation topic for a podcast episode. Number two, you can apply to be a guest on the show to join me to talk about a book. And number three, you could do both. So you can suggest a book and you could say that you want to be on the show to talk about it with me. Um, So it'll be me solo for the next several weeks, but you can expect to start seeing some episodes featuring guests in October. And if you want to be one of them, head over to my website to let me know that you're interested. But for now, it is very end of August. And the focus in our house right now is getting ready for back to school. So whether or not you have kids in your life, I do think there's just something in the air this time of year. This energy of learning, this feeling of starting something new, it's just palpable everywhere. And, you know, once the weather starts to turn cooler, It especially feels like all around us, there is this sense of transformation. So that's what I'm focusing on in today's episode. You know, what does it mean to change? If you are selling a product or a service that aims to help people change, are you thinking about it in the right way? And is it reflected in your messaging accordingly? So, you know, in another nod to back to school, the book that inspired this episode's topic is actually a children's book. 
and it is a darling little book called The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane by Kate DiCamillo. Kate DiCamillo um, is a very well-regarded, award-winning children's book author and just a, a truly gifted storyteller. She's written some illustrated picture books, um, but also many works of short fiction like this one that we are talking about in Better With Books. So you would definitely recognize some of her titles because they're bestsellers, award winners, and many have also been adapted for the screen. So those include Because of Winn-Dixie, The Tale of Despero, Flora and Ulysses, all really heartwarming, emotionally intelligent stories. So I've had my eye on The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane for a few years now because I can't remember if it was an article or maybe an NPR story. And it talked about how children's literature has so much that it can teach us as adults. And in general, is just a much more complex, nuanced genre than many people give it credit for. This article cited The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane specifically as one that adults could take a lot from. And now that I have read it, I totally agree. Like I really did take a lot of meaning and inspiration from this episode, including for how I think about my business and the marketing and messaging work that I do for my clients. So this book came out in 2006. It's like just under 200 pages, and it's also available as an audiobook, which is how I enjoyed it actually. It's like, I think I think it's about four hours long. So it was like just the right amount of time for an extended ride in the car with my son. And it is the story of a doll named Edward. And I'm calling him a doll because I don't really know how else to describe him. Um, he's a rabbit. So, but he's not a stuffed animal because he's made of china. So he's very delicate. He's also described as being almost three feet tall from his feet to the tips of his ears. And he is the prized possession of a little girl named Abilene. And Abilene is just this sweet, loving little girl whose whole world revolves around Edward. He goes everywhere with her. He sits at the dinner table with the family. He has his own little bed and he has like this whole wardrobe of very posh clothing. And Edward is not alive or animate in any way, but he is a sort of sentient being. So he can't talk, he can't move, but he can perceive the world around him. And he's got lots of opinions and very specific tastes. And this feels very weird to say about a toy, um, but Edward's kind of a jerk, actually. He is just really into himself. He holds himself in such a high regard that he really comes across as 
arrogant, self-important, and kind of cold. And, you know, not only does he like want to have this very esteemed, prominent position in his family and in his household, he he acts like he's entitled to it, like they are, you know, receiving a gift in being in his presence. So while he is Abilene's like most loved companion for about eight years of her life, which is pretty remarkable for a child's toy. Um, And she loves Edward with her whole heart. And she's just so tender and caring with him. But he is just incredibly indifferent toward her. He completely takes her love for granted. So eventually, Abilene and her family take a transatlantic trip aboard the Queen Mary. And while they're on board, these two mean preteen boys start picking on Abilene. And so they snatch Edward away from her and they're throwing him back and forth over her head. And then in kind of like the chaos, Edward just goes overboard and sinks to the bottom of the ocean. And, you know, you would think this is going to be the end of Edward's story, but it's not. It's actually just the beginning. And, you know, this is the start of his miraculous journey. So not only does... Edward find his way out of the ocean, but he has a series of owners after Abilene. So there will definitely be people who read this book and say, okay, there is no way that this toy could go from the floor of the Atlantic and remain in good enough condition to be cared for and played with for like another 50 years. But, you know, I think that's what's great about children's books. Like, no one is concerned with the impossible. It's just about the story and what we can learn from it. So Edward hangs out on the ocean floor for over a year. And then with some kind of, like, freak weather incident, there is this cyclone that stirs up the ocean floor, and he gets caught up in a commercial fishing net. And discovered by a fisherman who brings Edward home as a gift to his wife. And so this couple, they are recently empty nesters. And Edward sort of becomes this surrogate child for them. So they clean him up. They make him some beautiful new clothes. And they treat him like a member of their family. So, you know, he sits on the counter all day while the wife cooks. And... She tells him stories. And after dinner, when they go for a walk, the fisherman puts Edward on his shoulder and they stroll around the neighborhood while he smokes a pipe. And Edward really enjoys it. Like he's used to only having a child for company. So he feels like he is finally where he should be, like in company that can like enrich him surrounded by like good conversation that is worthy of his attention. So the daughter of this couple comes to visit and she's like totally weirded out by this whole situation. (laughs) And when the parents aren't looking, she sneaks Edward off to the dump and that's the end of their chapter. 
And so Edward is hanging out in heaps of garbage for an indeterminate amount of time when he's found by a homeless man and his dog. And you will not be surprised to hear that Edward was just horrified that he's now living this vagrant life. And so instead of wearing, you know, lace and linen clothes, he's wearing a dirty knit hat with holes cut out for his arms. But, you know, this trio, they travel around together and they kind of like fall into this rhythm. And Edward kind of becomes famous in a way in these shanty towns. Like when they arrive, people have already heard stories of him because he brings so much joy to people who just haven't had much opportunity for it. And, you know, after spending time with the fisherman's wife, Edward is now a much better listener. And so these people whisper stories to Edward about the children that they left behind and they ask him to like let them know that they're loved. And slowly Edward's heart starts to open up and he's finally able to feel something like compassion. So he travels this way for many years until one day they're traveling in a moving train and they're discovered and he is thrown from the train. And he's pretty quickly picked up by someone and has a brief stint as a scarecrow in a field before he is stolen off his post by a little boy as a gift for his younger sister who is very ill. And this little girl is four years old and it seems like she has something like tuberculosis. She just coughs constantly and is so incapacitated that she can't get out of bed. And their family is very poor. And so her brother and her father work all day. She has no toys, no company. And so when her brother, who is her primary caregiver and just loves her so much, sees Edward in the middle of this field, he kind of steals him in the middle of the night and brings him as a gift to her. And not only does you know she find joy in Edward's company, Edward becomes very fond of her, and he really starts to feel sympathy for you know her plight with her illness and he is he feels genuine affection for her and when she passes away, I mean he is devastated for the first time he experiences grief. And in that grief, he realizes that he misses Abilene and that he loves her too. And so, you know, the little girl's brother runs away, um, brings Edward with him, and the two of them kind of become street performers where Edward is refashioned as a marionette and they dance for crowds for money. And the two of them get separated. Edward ends up in a store that sells high-end dolls and he finds one last home. And I won't share the specifics because I don't want to rob you of how sweetly this book wraps up. 
it's, you know, this is a book called The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. And I don't think that refers just to the actual places that he went. And, you know, while they're incredibly remarkable, the depths of the ocean to traveling by train across the country, you know, the journey is, I think, more about his complete transformation over the course of this book from being this cold, unfeeling, selfish character to one who is loving and generous and appreciative. This concept of change or transformation is one that I think is really important to think about in a business context because no matter what kind of business you have, you are selling something, right? And you're not just selling the thing itself. You're selling the feeling that your customer will get once they purchase it and the experiences that it will bring them. And in the online business world in particular, you know, for example, people aren't just selling courses or coaching services or branding. Like they are selling transformation. You know, if you do this, you will be so far beyond where you are right now is the common messaging. And considering how many entrepreneurs are selling this concept of change and transformation, I I can't help but wonder if you totally remove them from the context of their business and just ask them straight up if, you know, do you think people are capable of change? I think that some, if not many, would say no. And that's because the culture that we're in like encourages us to be skeptical or even cynical of other people. It's so common to hear phrases like, um, the only person you can trust is yourself. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Or, you know, like women always stab each other in the back. And, you know, I think there was definitely a point in my life where I was more cynical and definitely defaulted to a place where I didn't believe the best in people. And it took me leaving the corporate world to realize that I just wasn't spending time with the right people. And my answer now around, you know, if people are capable of change, my answer is definitely less straightforward, but still feels very true to me. And before I get into, you know, the details of that, I think it's important first to differentiate between circumstances and the individual. Like in theory, I think everyone is capable of transforming their lives. But, you know, in reality, there are some very real and very big obstacles that for many people make it difficult, if not impossible, to achieve that kind of transformation. So things like institutionalized discrimination, um, you know, access to resources that allow people to be like healthy in body and in mind. You know, there's the economy, like so many things. And the conversation we're having right now is, you know, it's more theoretical. But if you are selling change or transformation, 
you would definitely be remiss in not identifying these circumstances for yourself, both because you owe it to your audience and your clients to see them as whole people, but also because your messaging can be really tone deaf if you're not careful. So personally, every time I hear somebody talking about how, you know, it's a choice to, you know, do or not do X, Y, or Z. And there are times when my mental health is just not good. And I'm like, listen, I would love to meal prep, but um, my neurotransmitters have other plans for me, thanks. <laughs> so, you know, the first step is taking the time to identify and consider the circumstances that impacts people's ability to change. And once you've kind of thought that through, the second step is to decide for yourself what like internal change or transformation actually looks like. And here's my take on it. So for the last several years, I've studied the Enneagram, which you might know is a personality typing tool but it is also a framework for growth. And my definition of change and transformation like came about through the spiritual practice I follow as a result of my work with the Enneagram. And I'll attempt to define it broadly with the caveat that there's much more nuance to it than how I'll summarize it, but I'll do my best. The Enneagram identifies that there are nine different personality types. And these types are often identified by their behaviors. So type six is known for being anxious. Type one is known for being very disciplined, etc. But the Enneagram argues that as humans, we are more than just our personalities and therefore more than the behaviors that we do and that others see us do. Our personalities and these behaviors develop as a protective mechanism to our true selves. And these true selves possess beautiful, essential qualities. So for example, I'm a type four and I might, okay, not might, I do, have a tendency to be overly emotional and to sometimes cause myself unnecessary suffering by letting myself get taken over by these deep, dark feelings. But underneath all that is the real me, like the true self who appreciates like depth and beauty, even in things like sadness or grief. So If I were selling a program to myself, like maybe a membership that gives me resources to channel my emotions in healthier ways, and outwardly, like hopefully people would notice a change in how I'm acting and what I'm doing and how I'm showing up in the world. But according to the Enneagram, I did not change. I instead worked really hard to be more present and in tune with myself, my true self. So I didn't get hijacked by my personality because I'm able to be more consistent in allowing my true self to show up. So I didn't change, 
but I cultivated the awareness to be who I truly am and not just a default set of behaviors that I fall back on in response to a world that makes me feel like I can't always be my true self. So I realize this is a really complex topic. And if this is something that interests you, I talk about it more at length in episode two of Better With Books. So definitely recommend circling back and listening to that one if you want to explore more about the Enneagram. So bringing things back to our friend Edward Tulane, like arguably he didn't change either. Like he discovered an ability to love that he just didn't know was there the whole time. So if you're selling change or transformation, I'd encourage you to really think about what you believe. And that includes giving credit to your audience that you're not necessarily giving them something that they don't already have, but instead helping them discover abilities that they just didn't know how to access before. So I mentioned more about kind of where you can go to learn more about the Enneagram. Um, It's also something that I like to use as a tool in evaluating branding and marketing with my clients. So if this is something that you want to explore about how to use the Enneagram in the context of your business and specifically, you know, taking a time to look at your messaging and your branding and your marketing, Um, there's a link in the show notes to book a consult with me about what a messaging audit would look like through the lens of the Enneagram. You know, please read or listen to the miraculous journey of Edward Tulane and, you know, maybe share it with a special kiddo in your life because kids or no kids, we can all learn from this story. The audiobook is really wonderful. Um, But if you'd like to purchase a hard copy of the book, you can find an affiliate link in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Better With Books podcast. If you like what you heard, please share with friends, fellow entrepreneurs, anyone who loves to read and share books. You could leave a review on your preferred streaming platform so that this podcast can be found by other people who love books as much as we do. You can also support the show by purchasing the titles I discuss using my affiliate links, which you can find in the show notes. The books I discuss on the Better With Books podcast are not sponsored by any third parties. I just pick them because I like them. All opinions are my own. Join me again next Friday to nerd out about another book and email me at kate at betterwithbookspodcast.com to let me know what you think about today's episode and anything else you might like me to talk about in the future. Until next time.